0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Dark and Precious Storytime. I'm Dark.
1: And I'm Precious.
0: In this podcast, we flex our creative muscles, and mainly your patience, by narrating original stories complete with totally professional sound effects. This will be the best 30 minutes of your life you'll never get back. Today's story is called The Cottage, where an escaped convict and two girls find that a tiny cottage in the woods is definitely not what it seems. Ellen and Miranda were best friends. They lived close to one another and had hung out together since elementary school. One of their favorite activities in the summer was to explore the woods behind Miranda's house. They spent hours exploring trails, throwing rocks in a little creek, and climbing trees. They would even take their sleeping bags and spend the night sleeping under the stars, accompanied by a cozy campfire. One day, They had traipsed to their usual camping spot on a large rock overlooking the babbling creek bed. (laughs) Dropping off their bedrolls and supplies, they wandered down one of the nearby trails they had traveled a hundred times. They were discussing the merits of white versus colored marshmallows when they came upon an odd construction of sticks hanging from a tree. As they stared curiously at the swinging totem, they were surprised by the squealing sound of rusty hinges. They moved through the trees in the direction of the noise, and after about fifty feet, they came upon a tiny cabin with a partially collapsed roof. The cabin was really no more than a shed, only about twelve feet square. It stood in the center of a perfect circle of scorched and blackened grass, but the cabin itself bore no burn marks. There were no windows, just a battered wooden door that stood wide open. Everything seemed still, as if nature was holding its breath. (gasps) Approaching the cabin, Ellen and Miranda noticed more of those weird stick things hanging from the trees around the cabin. When she stepped into the doorway, Ellen saw a low stone structure in the center of the cabin, and after a moment, she realized it was an old well, centered in a pentagram, that had been drawn in chalk on the floor. Strange symbols were drawn on the walls, with an occasional sinister-looking dark splash of something else. This is so weird, Miranda breathed. We've passed through here a million times. How have you never seen this before, Ellen responded, pushing the door open further and stepping in. The cabin smelled musty, and there was also the faint, lingering stench of death, as if an animal had died in here long ago. The floors were dusty and covered with drifts of leaves that had filtered in from the collapsed roof. Looking up, the girls could see sun-dappled leaves of the trees outside. They jumped as a low whispering sound carried from the well. Eyes wide with fear, they looked at each other and edged back towards the door, away from the well. The whispering increased in intensity and they distinctly heard, Help me! Maybe someone's trapped in there, Ellen exclaimed. Forgetting her fear, she rushed to the well, with Miranda close behind, and they both looked down into the inky blackness. As they stared, they could discern a vague shape below. Suddenly, a pair of luminous eyes flashed in the darkness, and the girls gasped, <gasps> They tried to turn and run, but they were riveted by the glowing gaze of whatever was in the well. The whispering became a low, raspy voice. Ah, you have come to release me, it stated matter-of-factly, and uttered what sounded like a sigh of relief. Although transfixed, Miranda found her voice first. What are you? she stammered. A prisoner, the voice sounded amused. I was a girl like you until they bound me to this place. But now that you're here, I'm no longer trapped. What do you want from us? Let us go. Ellen was trying to tear her hands away from the rim of the well, but could only continue staring at those eyes. You will free me. Then you will feed, the voice responded. And with that... The darkness in the well spilled out into the cabin, encompassing the girls and muffling their screams. (coughs) Ding! Henry Buxley had been in and out of prison since he was twelve. He'd heard others describe him as a sociopath, a psychopath, and just a plain asshole. He didn't really care which of those was true. He just knew he enjoyed hurting people. During his prison stays he quickly earned a reputation as someone not to be trifled with. After murdering another inmate, Henry was transferred to a maximum security prison to live out the rest of his days. People considered him a sociopath because he didn't seem to be afraid of anything. Not dying, getting beaten, or even solitary confinement. This was mostly true, but what people didn't know was that Buxley did have one breathtaking, mind-numbing fear. Snakes. Snakes, bler. He couldn't stand the sight of them in any form. He would squirm uncomfortably if he just saw a picture or a video of a snake.
1: <laughs>
0: he'd almost passed out from terror. The one time he'd seen a snake during one of his stints in juvie. He'd almost stepped on a little green snake in the recreation yard and stood frozen in fear as the tiny reptile slithered lazily across his path and away into the grass. On shaky legs, he'd managed to walk over and collapse onto a bench, lungs heaving and brow dripping with fear sweat. One night, in drunken defiance of his fear, he'd ordered a cobra tattooed on his inner left forearm. The next day, he stared in disgust At the image and considered scraping or cutting the thing off. But in the end, he simply covered it and refused to look at it any more than necessary. Occasionally, when he'd catch a glimpse of it, he'd shudder. (sighs) Henry also didn't like prison. Not because it scared him or because there were bad people there. He was usually the baddest and the scariest. But because the food sucked and his options for hurting people was severely limited. So, He orchestrated an ingenious escape involving a basketball and a pair of welding goggles. Say what now? With the law hot on his heels, he fled across two states, beating people and stealing cars as he went. He decided to try for Mexico and was also prepared to die fighting if the cops found him first. He wasn't going back to prison and he would kill anyone who tried to capture him while he was on the lam. He'd parked his latest car in a ditch and covered it with branches and leaves, then hiked into the forest wearing an old pair of camouflage-hunting overalls and a red baseball cap. While he was certainly no outdoorsman, he knew there was a town nearby, so he figured he'd eventually find a way to steal some supplies. He stalked through the trees, listening for any noise indicating another person. He also watched the ground carefully, searching for snakes, Eventually, he settled into a rhythm, walk, stop, listen, walk, stop, and listen. After a couple hours, he came to a little creek burbling happily through the trees
1: and
0: stooped to slurp a few mouthfuls of water. Turning upstream, he came upon a large flat rock and smiled at the pile of sleeping gear and supplies heaped there. He sifted through the items and found a bag of marshmallows, tore it open, and stuffed a handful of the sticky sweets into his mouth.
1: Nom, 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 nom.
0: This was the first sweet thing he'd eaten in months, so he thrilled at the rush of sugar and munched contentedly as he shoved another handful of marshmallows into his pocket, Mm. continuing down the trail, leading away from the campsite. A few minutes later, he stopped to pop a couple more marshmallows and paused with his hand halfway to his mouth. Far off in the distance, he thought he heard sirens
1: beedle, beedle, beedle.
0: and the buzz of a helicopter.
1: Bzzz.
0: They must have found his car. He pushed the food into his mouth and started down the trail again when he heard a different noise coming from the trees nearby. He cocked his head to listen. It sounded like a couple of women or kids chanting.
1: Oh, wee, oh. Oh, oh, oh.
0: So he grinned again and stalked in that direction. "'stepping carefully to avoid making too much noise. "'He soon came to a clearing and stood awestruck, "'gazing at a beautiful little cottage "'that held court with a dazzling array of colored wildflowers "'and bright green grass. "'Green vines clung to the side of the cottage, "'and the air was perfumed by honeysuckle and lilac. "'A thin wisp of smoke curled from the chimney. "'Buxley was enraptured by the sight,' and suddenly felt like this was where he belonged. He never realized until now that this was exactly the type of home he'd always wanted for himself. He sprinted to the door and threw it open with a crash.
1: Crash!
0: The inside of the cottage was as beautiful as the outside. Dried flowers and herbs lined the walls. A simple but sturdy chair framed with cushions faced the fireplace, where the mantel held candles and what looked like a smoking pipe. However, the center of the space was dominated by a large wooden table laden with various bowls and plates of steaming food. Henry's mouth watered as he took in the mounds of mashed potatoes, slabs of meat nestled in gravy, loaves of golden crusted bread, and heaps of brightly colored vegetables and fruits. He looked around for the cottage's occupant, but didn't see anyone. Unable to resist any longer, he ran to the table and sat down in front of an empty plate. He took a moment to marvel at the quaint design of laughing children and baby farm animals circling the edge of the plate before he started shoveling food onto it. Henry closed his eyes and groaned blissfully as he ate.
1: Uh Ah, yes!
0: Each bite was better than the last, and he quickly cleaned his plate. He was scooping more food onto his plate when he heard footsteps from overhead. He stopped and stared up at the ceiling, and then noticed a staircase in the corner of the room. He was puzzled, since the cottage looked pretty small from the outside, and certainly not big enough to have a second level. He also noticed there was a good-sized kitchen, and another room through a doorway to his right. He could have sworn there was simply a wall there when he came in, but figured he'd just been too hungry to really pay attention. He chided himself for not checking the, the upstairs. And hoped they hadn't heard him eating all their food. The footsteps continued,
1: thump, 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 thump,
0: and Henry stood, eyes glued to the staircase. As he watched, delicate boots and then a couple of simple cotton dresses came into view as two attractive women descended into the room. Henry positioned himself between them and the doorway, planning to cut them off before they could run out of the cottage. However, The two women didn't seem at all surprised at the sight of a dirty con in overalls standing in their pristine living room. In fact, they looked like they'd been expecting him. Taken aback by their nonchalance, Henry studied them a little closer. They looked like they were in their late teens, one blonde, one redhead. Their dresses looked to be handmade and very old-fashioned. No cleavage or skin anywhere except their hands and faces. He thought they were probably Amish or Mennonite or something like that, which explained their clothing and hospitality. Buxley grinned again and even chuckled a little at his good fortune. (laughs) He found the perfect hiding spot, fantastic food and two young girls he could use for whatever he wanted. His luck had finally turned. One of the girls gestured silently back at the table, inviting him to continue eating. They didn't look afraid or ready to bolt, so Henry swaggered back to the table and sat down. As he spooned more potatoes on his plate, he glanced at the design again and a chill went through him. All around the edge of the plate, snakes intertwined as they bit, squeezed, and swallowed screaming children. Henry squeezed his eyes shut and shook his head and then looked at the plate again. The snakes were still there and seemed a lot more detailed this time. He could see the individual scales, the slits of the eyes, the wickedly pointed fangs. His appetite gone, he dumped the food to cover as much of the design as possible and then stood up again. The two girls stood still watching him. Each had a little half-smile, like they'd just shared a private joke. His left forearm was starting to itch like crazy and Henry scratched it absently as he pondered what to do with them. He couldn't bring himself to leave this perfect little cottage, but he didn't like the way they were looking at him either. He decided to kill the blonde, which would probably wipe the smoke off the other one's face. So he crossed the room, grabbed the blonde by the neck and threw her into the fireplace. She skidded across the floor and into the hearth, scattering flaming logs. He turned back to the redhead with a triumphant grin of his own, But her expression hadn't changed. He also didn't hear the screams of agony he expected from the woman who was burning to death. So he looked at the fireplace. Sparks and ashes sputtered onto the floor as the blonde woman crawled slowly out of the fire. Her clothes burned away, but her flesh intact. He backed away in in astonishment, mouth agape. His left arm felt like it was on fire, so he pushed up his sleeve and screamed in horror. (laughs) Ah! baka A cobra had wound itself around his arm and reared up as he moved its sleeve. The cobra swayed, inflating its characteristic fan and struck, sinking its fangs into Henry's right hand. The pain was enormous and he could feel the poison squirting from the fangs into his hand.
1: Squirt, squirt.
0: He screamed again, Ah! flailing his left arm around and finally managing to fling the snake across the room waves of nausea overtook him and he retched, throwing up his meal under the floor of the cottage. He was horrified to see that instead of partially digested potatoes, steak, and bread, he was vomiting dead insects and spiders, writhing worms, and what appeared to be rodent carcasses. The blonde stood up and rejoined the redhead. Both girls turned to stare at him, no longer smirking. Their eyes were now lidless and dark yellow with black slitted pupils, snake eyes. Henry gasped (gasps) and staggered backwards as both of them moved towards him. Rather than footsteps, he heard a rustling, swishing sound and looked down to see each girl's feet turn into a single scaled trunk. His back hit the wall and he screeched as their faces melted the skin sloughing off to reveal scales, and their mouths stretched wider and wider, gaping open to reveal glistening fangs and black forked tongues. Looking around for an escape, Henry was amazed to see that he was in a tiny shed. There was no food, no fireplace, and no furniture. Where the table had been there was now a short, stout woman, perched on the edge of a stone well. She was dressed similarly to the girls, but her skin was dark and etched with lines of age and evil. Her eyes were completely black and her mouth opened to reveal small, sharp teeth as she pointed at him and uttered a single word. EAT! Her wicked laugh was the last thing Henry Buxley heard as he was torn apart by his worst nightmare. Ellen and Miranda awoke to the sounds of barking dogs, woof, 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 and men shouting through the trees.
1: Through the trees,
0: they were each nestled in their sleeping bags. The smoking coals of their campfires still keeping the early morning chill at bay. They leaped to their feet, patting their faces, legs, body, hair. They didn't know what they were checking for, but when they found each other unchanged and intact, they hugged, weeping in relief. <laughs>
1: I'm so relieved.
0: Over the next couple hours, state and federal police combed through the woods looking for traces of the escaped convict. They had tracked him pretty easily to a little creek but lost his trail soon thereafter. They questioned Ellen and Miranda extensively, but the two girls truthfully couldn't remember anything. Eventually, they were allowed to pack up and return to their homes. As the girls rolled up their sleeping bags, a torn red baseball cap fluttered from the folds of Miranda's bag. She just stared at it laying on the ground until Ellen quickly picked it up and stuffed it in her pack. Then they left the woods and never returned. So, what did you think of this week's story, Precious? (laughs) Okay, well, I, when you were reading the story, what kind of questions do you think people who are listening to the podcast might have about it.
1: So, I want to know how how Henry escaped with goggles at a basketball.
0: Oh, that's a good question. And uh, the answer is, you just got to use your imagination.
1: Hmm. I don't know. I just don't picture it.
0: Well, that sounds like a personal problem. Whatever. What other questions do you think they might have?
1: Where do you get your inspiration for your stories? Dark
0: Well, if you could uh, keep the (laughs) accusatory tone out of your voice, (laughs) precious, I could tell you that I get my inspiration from, uh, well, I mean, where anybody gets their creative inspiration from reading and movies and life experiences. In this case, I mean, this happened to be pretty much autobiographical.
1: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Do you have any questions for me about where I get my stellar sound effects?
0: You know, I always thought they were pretty natural, but uh, tell me, did you, like, go to school or anything like that?
1: Nope, I am self-taught, Never,
0: Never had a lesson in your life? (laughs)
1: Never had a lesson in my life.
0: Uh, You you couldn't tell. (laughs) Okay, so this is the first time that we've actually tried to have some sort of a commentary in addition to the story. I know the first time we actually just read the story and then we're like, bye. So... Maybe this time we could try doing the talkie thing.
1: Mm, I don't know. I don't know if people are going to like the talkie thing.
0: I know. Words are kind of hard if you don't have them written down in, in front of you. But uh,
1: And sometimes even when you do.
0: <laughs> even when you do. I'll be the first to admit. But uh, I don't know. We'll try it this time because, you know, in real life we're delightful. So I figured in a podcast we could just show people how delightful we are. <laughs> share our a gift with the world.
1: Yeah, okay. So so how about if maybe next time I read the story and you do the sound effects?
0: Well, I don't know if I'm as naturally talented as you, but maybe we could do that. What kind of story do you think we should do next time?
1: I think we should do a Bigfoot story.
0: Bigfoot. Um, okay. Do you believe in Bigfoot, Precious? No.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe I think he's a possibility. Or she.
0: Really? You're going to go gender neutral with the Bigfoot? Well. (laughs) Non-binary?
1: Well, you don't know. Okay. It's a work in progress. It
0: is a work in progress. We have to get better at this. But for right now, um, leave us your thoughts about whether we should do talky thing or just stick with the story.
1: Is there a place for comments?
0: You know, I don't know, but uh, you know, we've gotten a few people that gave us comments. So one way or the other, people will let us know.
1: Yes, but they're people we know.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, that's true.
1: Thankfully, they didn't say, "Don't do that anymore."
0: <laughs> we haven't gotten that yet. Yet. Although someone did uh, drop the term "sophomoric humor."
1: Wait, who said that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know who you are. We hope you enjoyed listening to our story as much as we enjoyed telling it. We're pretty sure you have more friends than we do, so be sure to tell them all about us and click to follow our podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at dark.n.precious. Feel free to leave us any feedback or if you have any story suggestions. Who knows? You might just hear your story idea come to life in the next episode of Dark and Precious Storytime. I'm Dark.
1: And I'm Precious.
0: See you next time.
1: Bye-bye.